Well, good morning and welcome to Clear Creek. If you will, grab a seat and grab your Bible. Oh man, so good to see you all this morning. I'm Josh, one of the ministers here at Clear Creek. Welcome if we haven't had a chance to meet. So glad that you're here. Stick around. I'll be at the next step table in the lobby. Love to say hi to you if this is your first time. Let's get into the word of God this morning, shall we? I want to start with a question this morning. And Phil, before you put this up, I've got one question, then this question that'll be on screen. But here's the first question. It won't be on screen, but here's the first question. It's kind of an important question. We've been in this, this series of teachings called How Disciples Are Made. And it's, it's an important conversation, but is it true? Maybe in your life, for me, it's true that often there are things that may be important, but I don't feel they're important. Sometimes there will be something that we'll talk about. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's fine, but it doesn't apply to me or it's not urgent to me or it's not important to me. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or I'm a bad person. Just sometimes things don't feel like they matter. And so... I want to answer the question, why are we talking about this? Why are we taking six weeks to walk through how disciples are made? What is the big deal? And I'm going to answer that with this question. Are you ready? Here's the question. The question is, what excites you about heaven? Now, I know you're thinking that has nothing to do with this other thing we're talking about. Actually, it has everything to do with what we're talking about this morning. So if I were to sit down with you this morning, if we were going to go to lunch, maybe to Salsaritas, or we were going to go grab a bite to eat, maybe do a little barbecue in your backyard or something, and we were to sit down and have a meaningful conversation, and you were to tell me what you were most excited about heaven, what would you say? For some of us, I'm going to put some things up on the board here, but for some of us, the thing that we would say is, I'm most excited about seeing Jesus face to face. Like like the moment when my eyes close on this side of eternity and open on that side, I want to see him. And, And when you see Jesus, can you imagine that moment when you see him and you fall to your knees and he reaches down and lifts you up with nail scarred hands and he embraces you and says, welcome home. Is that the thing you're most excited for? For others here, maybe it's not that. Maybe for some, you're just going, yeah, Jesus, but I'm also, man, I'm ready to see some family. Like there's that dad that I haven't seen in 35 years. He died when I was young and I just can't wait to see my dad. I want to hug him. Or maybe it's a son. I just can't wait to see my son or it's a daughter or it's a grandparent or a friend. He's like, I just can't wait to see them. And some of us say, man, that's what I'm excited most about heaven. And then still others, we'd say, maybe it's not Jesus or family, although those are great things. And of course, Jesus, by the way, will be the number one thing. You think it won't be, I promise. When you see him, there's nothing like Jesus. But some of us in here, we might say, no, no, the other things I'm excited about is justice for all, because we live in an unjust world that some people seem to get justice and others don't seem to get justice. I can't wait until God is acknowledged as King of kings and Lord of lords as the righteous ruler so that all people receive equal justice. Others in here, you may not say it's justice. It may be that just everyone gets enough. Everyone is satisfied. People don't go hungry at night. Some people don't continue to get the raw end And you just go, man, I can't wait until there's not a hungry mouth in the world where we don't hear about another child going hungry at night. That's what's so exciting about heaven. And then others in here, you'd say, no, it's restored relationships. Because here on earth, is it true that sometimes relationships are really busted up? Sometimes a marriage is busted or relationship between parents and children, it just gets busted. Or with friends, it just gets busted. And how many of us are excited about the day when all relationships 
will not be restored back to what they were, but they'll be better than they've ever been before. Is that good news? Yeah. And then for others of us in here, we might say, I'm excited for the day when children are safe and every little kid has a home. No child is abandoned. No child is ignored. That's what I'm excited about. And then, and then there are some in here, you just say, man, life is so hard. It's so stressful. It's just so busy. The thing I cannot wait for is peace. I mean, like not, not that things aren't bad, but like soul satisfying peace. That's what I'm most looking forward to. Here's my question. Do you hunger for any of these things? Do you look forward to them? And then if you do, here would be the next question. What if that could happen here? Not in its fullness. We know that some things will not be fully experienced until Jesus returns. But what would it look like if you and I could experience some of those things to a greater measure here in your home? What would it look like for there to be a restored relationship between every member of your family? What would it look like if in the people that you know and run with, if no one was hungry, if no one was without, because people just shared and cared for one another? What if justice was more available and more equally distributed. And, and, and by the way, that's not a political statement. I just mean in a world that's busted, wouldn't it be great when people have justice? And so for all of us, if this is something you hunger for, I've got great news for you this morning. See, 2,000 years ago, this man named Jesus walked onto the scenes and he made a declaration that created an earthquake around the world that we still feel the reverberations to this day. He said something astounding in Mark chapter 1 when he said these words. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And I love this statement because he talks about time like it is imminent. It's like happening. It's like right now. But not only in time, but it has come near like proximity. It's not way out there. You don't have to go to another city, another state or country. But the kingdom of God is available today. Another way to understand this is that heaven is where God's rule and reign is perfectly lived out. And the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is now on earth. The places where God's rule and reign are perfectly understood and lived out. And for anyone who says, I want what is happening up there to come down here? That is why we're talking about what we're talking about right now. And disciples are simply people who live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. So with that said, that's why we're talking about this. And I want to run quickly through nine verses, Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10. There's nine verses total I want us to look at this morning. And there are going to be five truths that Jesus shares with us about what it means to make disciples, to see more people enter into the kingdom of heaven, to live under the rule and reign of God, that his kingdom will come, his will be done in Chattanooga as it is in heaven. And so, you ready to hear what Jesus says on how we can experience just a little bit more of heaven on earth? If you are, stand with me, please, as we read from Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. 
These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called them and he sent them. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that in the same way that you spoke to the 12 and then the 72 so many years ago, would you speak to us now? Call us, send us, give us clarity for the days ahead so that more people may know more about Jesus so that your kingdom may come, your fullness and will be done in Chattanooga as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. I don't want any of us to miss the points, so we're going to do this Southern style. Here's what that means. Basic, simple, five points. By the way, this is everything opposite of what I was taught in preaching school. Yes, there's a certain way you're supposed to preach. I'm not going to do it today. You're only supposed to have one to three points. We got five. Sorry, that's because Jesus has five points. Are you ready? Point number one, the first thing I want us to hear from this text, and it's an encouragement, but also a woe, is simply this. God often uses us to answer our prayers. Now, before you say, you heretic, I want you to pay attention to the context. We just read from Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, but how does chapter 9 end? Jesus tells his followers, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. And the very next thing he does, he says this, he calls his 12 disciples to him. These 12 Jesus sent out. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now go. Jesus says, I want you to pray, but then I'm going to use you to answer some of the prayers that you have just prayed. This is very much Jesus's football moment. You know what happens on the football field, right? You have the quarterback. He looks at the defensive line. He sees how things are positioned. And so he calls his team to the huddle. They get together and he begins to outline, here is our next play. Here's what we're going to do. Jesus says, our next play is to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And after everyone gets their instructions, does he say, go back up to the stands? No. He breaks the huddle and says, now it's your turn to hop onto the field. God often will use you and use me to answer the prayers that we pray. And interestingly enough, not one of those there said to Jesus, I'm not much of a sharer, Jesus. Like, that's not my gift. I just like to listen. I like to learn. I'm not a sharer. Jesus doesn't say this is only for some. He says, I'm calling you all. And there's this cool little thing that's under the surface here. And I want you to consider this with me. Some of you feel like God is distant and you've never heard his voice. I want to show you from this text that many of you have heard his voice, but you did not know it was his voice. Here's what I mean. Why do the apostles pray 
for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. Who tells them to pray? The answer is who, church? This wasn't a trick question. It was Jesus. Okay, let's try it again. Okay. You know the joke. If you don't know the answer, what's the answer in church? Ah, there we go. Okay, so let's try this again. So Jesus tells them to pray to the Lord of the harvest. So who is it who tells them to pray church? It is? Ah, fantastic. It is Jesus. Congratulations. Why am I telling you this? The reason they prayed was because Jesus prompted them to pray. Why, dear brothers and sisters, do you pray for your unsaved friends? Who prompts you to pray? Jesus said that when he left, he would send to us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us and guides us in the way God would have us to go. Which means any moment that you feel the prompting to pray, the moment someone comes to mind, the the, the moment you feel, oh, I just need to lift so-and-so up in prayer. Or, oh, I haven't thought about them in a while. I guess I should pray for them. That is evidence that God's Holy Spirit is talking to you. Many of us think that the voice of God has to sound like James Earl Jones from the clouds. And that is not the truth. It often comes when he brings someone to your mind. The moment that a person's name, face, situation comes to your mind, celebrate for God's Holy Spirit has just spoken to you. That is the only reason that you and I would be prompted to pray. So the first thing you need to know, God answers or uses us to answer many of our prayers. Point number two. And by the way, all five of these may not apply to you today. You may go, eh, but one of these will. So point number two, put this up, please. is simply this. Jesus called them by name. Did you notice that? This is one of the only places in the entire Bible that we get all 12 of the apostles named. Why? To underline the point that everyone is called to share the good news of Jesus with those they know. Peter, Andrew, James, John, the whole crew. By the way, when I see this list, I go back to VBS as a kindergartner and I want to sing the names. Do any of you know the song? Jesus called them. See, some of you know the song. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He goes through the whole list. Why? Because he wants everyone to know that You are called by name. Some of us think, he didn't call me. My name's not on that page. We get an exemption, right? Isn't that how that works? I'm not an apostle. But then we go to Luke chapter 10, and then we read these very unfortunate words in Luke chapter 10. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them. What? He's going beyond his bench. He's getting more people in the game. What's happening here? If you read the context of Luke chapter 10, roll back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 mirrors Matthew chapter 10. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus calls his 12 and sends them out. A few things happen. And then Luke chapter 10, he calls 72 other disciples and sends them out. Now, I know some of us go, wait. Other disciples? Yes. In Jesus' ministry, there were three groups of people who followed him. There were the apostles, the 12. There were a group of other disciples, in this case, 72, who were with him as well. And beyond that would be the crowds, the people who showed up for the meals, for the miracles, for the speeches. 
Jesus first sent his inner circle and then he sent the rest of his disciples, his followers, and he said, you don't get left out. Isn't it incredible that there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven that all are invited into the mission of God? Here's point number two. Saved people are sent people. You may be the answer to the prayer that you've been praying, but here's what I absolutely know. Saved people are sent people. Good news. If Jesus sends you, it means that he has already saved you. As you're celebrating and sharing the good news of Jesus, as you're going to friends and family saying, I met a man who's changed my world. There's this man who knows the way to live. Saved people are sent people and he sends them. And they go out and they have the most incredible stories and experiences. One of the reasons so many Christians, I think, are bored in their Christian life is because we think this is what being a Christian's about. Friends, I'm not that entertaining. Don't, don't say amen, okay? Just, just, okay, be gracious here. But if this is all that we're living for, it's a boring waste of a life. Listen, we're not just saved to hang on for heaven. We are saved and then we are sent on the greatest adventure of a lifetime to share others about our good God and to say, come and see the man who changes all lives that are turned to him. Number one, you may be the answer to the prayers you pray. Number two, save people are sent people. But number three, Jesus doesn't send you to reach the world. Did you know that? I know in church, we often talk about this. We'll say, our mission is to reach the world. We're going we're gonna to just reach the world. And that sounds really, really, really good. But quick question. Have you ever met any one individual who reached the whole world? No. In fact, did you notice Jesus in this passage does not send them to the whole world? world. He defines the mission. He says, notice this, do not go to the Gentiles, but he goes on to say, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, I have a specific place I want you to go and I will show you where you were made to serve and lead and reach best. There are places, brothers and sisters, that you can go that I can't. And there are other places that I can go that perhaps you can't. God has given you a very specific mission field. And your job, isn't this encouraging? Your job is not to reach the world, but notice this. Your job and my job is just to reach your world. Not all the world, just your world. The places where you live, the places where you work, and the places where you play. God has saved you and sent you just in your places. Uh, let, Let me prove it to you. Do you remember hearing the story of Adam and Eve? Anyone in here know who Adam and Eve are? Not personally, of course, but have you heard about them? Yes? Okay. Adam was placed where? Do you know where Adam was placed? In the garden. Very good. Now, some of us thought we were taught that Adam was responsible for cultivating all of the earth. Adam, go cultivate the earth. He wasn't. Read the text. He was given the responsibility by God to care for the garden. So big by so big. That's his mission field. That's where he was supposed to help it flourish. You have a mission field so big by so big. That's where you've been called to make it flourish. I have a mission field. You guys are part of it. 
Now, I'm not responsible for other churches in our city. I'm not responsible for other churches in other parts of the world. I'm responsible to do what God has called me to do here. I'm responsible for the neighborhood in which I live, specifically uh, the people around me, because I know them and they know me. I'm responsible for the gym where I very infrequently go. Don't say we can tell. I get it, okay? But I'm responsible for those places where I go, so big by so big. I'm not responsible for your mission field and you're not responsible for mine, which means God has made you perfectly for the job he has assigned you to do. Now, that leads us to our fourth truth from Jesus. It's that faith is caught and it's taught. Faith is caught and it's taught. What do I mean by this? Jesus sends them out with two assignments. Number one, he gives them authority to do some pretty cool things. He sends them out to cast out evil spirits, to heal people. He sends them out to heal the hearts and help people get better. Now, quick side note. Now, let me just, we need to have this conversation. Listen to me, please. Let's just pretend you and I are just having a conversation here. Some of us get freaked out when we talk about miracles healings. And some of us go, I've never seen it. It's just not possible because I've never seen it. I just need to pose a question for you. Two questions. Number one, where in the scriptures does it say God ceases to do miracles? And number two, is it possible the reason we do not see his miraculous works is because we've told him he can't do it here? I don't want to be a church that tells God he can't do something in our midst. And what if we get to heaven and he says, oh, I don't do that anymore. You just were mistaken. Fine. I'd rather learn that he doesn't do it. But I don't want to be a guy who tells him that he cannot do it here. Are you with me, church? So faith is caught. People actually helping one another. That opens the heart to hearing and to receiving. But notice the second part. He doesn't just send them to heal and to help. He sends them to proclaim. The word there literally means to say out loud, to shout it in ways, to explain it to others. See, the word of God is not merely to be expressed in the way that we treat people to be nice, but it's also to explain why we're living the way we are. For some of us, we're more naturally inclined to just being good people, doing things, serving. Amen and praise God. For others in this room, you're more inclined to talking about the Lord, to sharing your faith with your words. Praise God. That's awesome. But what value are words if your life is not matching your words? And what value are our actions if we don't explain why we live the way we live. He says, I want you to go and help the whole person to serve people and then open your mouth and say, it is because of this man who is God named Jesus. That's why I live the way I live. Brothers and sisters, we've been invited to proclaim the word, to heal the hearts of those around us, to help them in whatever way we can because faith is often Caught and taught. And finally, number five, last one, Jesus sends them out two by two. This is my favorite one of all of them because there are days where I'm absolutely terrified of the prospect of sharing my faith. And I'm embarrassed to say that. I'm embarrassed to tell God that, like, God, I'm nervous. I mean, it's, it's like the guy, there was a guy I knew in college, true story. He was dating a girl but she didn't want him to tell anyone that they were dating. Have you ever met a situation like that? 
The guy likes this girl. He's all about this girl. And he talks about this girl. And then she's like, don't tell anyone we're dating. I like you a lot. You're the best guy in the world. I just don't want anyone to know that I'm with you. Finally, we had to get him to say, dude, she doesn't like you. How do you know if someone likes you? They say they're with you. They're with you. And so Jesus, in this moment, I love it. He says, listen, I'm with you, I'm for you, but I'm not gonna send you alone. I'm gonna sh- I want you to share with others and alongside. So he sends them two by two. Notice this verse in Luke. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, you work out? And maybe for some of us, your workout is really intense. You go to the gym eight days a week. You've got muscles on your earlobes. You're just like Hulk Hogan in a church outfit, right? And then for others of us, like you'll do one sit up a day. You know what I'm talking about? You do half of it when you get up in the morning and the other half when you go back to bed. I mean, for some of us, that's our exercise routine. How many of us know though that our exercise routines typically go up when we have a workout buddy? And I'm not talking about the guy you paid to get you to get in shape because you've already paid him. So you don't feel bad if you leave him standing there at the gym at 5 a.m. You've already paid him. I'm talking about your friend who's not getting paid, but is showing up to be with you. Because this is your friend who, if you don't show up, what is he going to do if he is a good friend? He's going to make fun of you in front of other people. He's going to harass you. He's going to call you. He's going to knock on your front door or at your window. Wake up. How many of us know that we often become who we want to be when we have someone who loves us enough to walk with us in the process? And I I think for too many of us, we've just tried to be the Lone Ranger. We've tried to live life on our own. I'm gonna share my faith, but I don't have anyone who walks with me. I don't have anyone who's running alongside me. Brothers and sisters, I've got one question for you. Who is your workout buddy when it comes to sharing the faith? Who's the person that you know, and they know you're in it together and they're going to talk about their faith and you're gonna talk about your faith. And then they'll ask you, how did it go this week? And they're gonna encourage you and they're gonna challenge you. And when you don't show up, they'll even lovingly make fun of you. Like, really, you were scared to share your faith? Come on. Do you have someone like that? I'll tell you, I've got two or three workout buddies when it comes to faith. One of them is my wife. She's my best friend and she is the one person who can get in my face. And she's also one person who can make fun of me in a way that makes me laugh and also shames me at the same time. Anyone know someone like that? But I need people who will say, I love you enough to call you to a higher level. Do you have someone? And maybe the question is, are you that for someone else? So this is it. Jesus says, look, the kingdom of heaven Oh, it's near. It's available right now to you. And it is available to those around you. What does it take for others to experience it? You may be the answer to the prayers you've been praying, friends. If you're saved, you are sent. You don't have to reach the whole world, just the world God has placed you in. Faith, it's often caught and taught. And don't worry, Jesus will send you with another person if you'll simply ask so that one more person may know and experience the kingdom of heaven in this day and age. Let's stand together.
I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to pray. As we do, I want you to consider where, where would the Lord ask you to take your next step? Is it today that you're feeling his voice say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can find rest in Jesus. If you've not yet accepted him as Lord and put him on as Savior in baptism, today is the day. Don't leave this place wondering. You can find rest. You can begin to experience that kingdom we were talking about earlier. And for others in this room, for you, maybe it's not that you need to be saved. You just need to know that you are so loved by God that he will empower you to go. And for others in here, maybe the next step is just say, who's that one person that God has put on your heart? Would you this week pray, God, give me eyes to see what you see so that you will do what he calls you to do. Father, we thank you this morning for meeting us in this place, for being with us, not through the expertise of the one who's attempting to communicate, but through the beauty of scripture and the truth that your spirit is with us in this room. I pray for every person here that they would know that you love them. Father, for the man and the woman, for the child who has yet to say yes to you in baptism, I pray that today you would come near to them and say, take your next step, dear child. Don't leave this place unsure. And for others in this place, Lord, may you speak to them. Remind us that the one who sends us is the one who saves us. Give to each person that which they need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.